Hi, I'm Dana, a former TV presenter and radio host. But to Luca and Darcy, I'm known as... Mum! Maybe one day they'll realise I used to be cool. Being a mum has been my greatest joy and biggest headache. It's taken me to playgroups and parent gatherings, mainly for cake and coffee, but also to meet parents and swap stories, which reminded me I'm not alone and the things we face are normal. And that's what this podcast, Parents We've Met, is all about. I'm like, no matter how many kids I'm having, I'm not having a van. That is not the look. Oh, heck. I have to say, having a van has probably been the best blessing. <laughs> I don't think we're meant to do this parent gig alone, and I knew I needed a bit of a coach to help me along the way. And that's where Jenny comes in. I hope I can help. <laughs> Crossing my fingers. Every parent has their own story and their own struggles, so join us as we chat through the magic and mess of this parenting gig. Kapai, Jenny. Welcome to Parents We've Met. In this episode, we got to chat with an inspiring wahine, Kaiora Tipini. Kaiora has such a unique and fascinating career as a funeral director, a business owner, and a New Zealand TV personality. Alongside her partner, Frances, she stars in the popular reality TV series, The Casketeers, which lifts the lid on a topic that's a little bit taboo, that is, death. We were keen to hear how she juggles all she does while raising five, soon to be six kids, and her advice on how to grieve well and help our kids when facing the death of someone they love. Hey Kyota, thank you so much for hanging out with mm. us today. I was thinking, I, I think I met you about five or six years ago, and um, it was when my dad's best friend Ray died, mm. and he was brought to you guys and you cared for him. And then it was less than a year later, my stepmom died, and we brought her to you um, oh. and then within two years my dad died yes. and so I feel like I know your workplace really well and I've had many tears there and I was thinking even preparing myself to chat with you today there was a few tears just thinking yes. back and I thought you know you stand in quite a sacred space mm-hmm. you know for families and preparing their loved ones but also mm. preparing and walking with them in that journey as well. I'm really looking forward to this this chat and talking about death and grief and your beautiful whanau. Firstly, ngā mihi nui kia koutou. Uh, thank you very much for having me, uh, your beautiful whanau, and inviting me to this wonderful kaupapa and uh, podcast. Mm. It's always a privilege to be able to share my experiences with anyone and everyone. So thank you for this mm. invite. Um, so yes, I am a mum, I'm a wife, entrepreneur, full-time working mum. So my my eldest is 18, or he's turning 18. And then my next eldest is 16. And then we have a 10-year-old, 9-year-old. And my Portuguese at the moment is four years old. Mm. So they're all boys. It's a it's a man's world in my in my home. <laughs> Sorry, I should say I've got I've got six boys, including my husband. <laughs> so he's more he's our I, he's my biggest baby. <laughs> uh, but look, he's he comes with challenges as well. You know, they're all very needy in my home. You are very outnumbered at home. I mean, what's it like being a mama to all boys and, and so many of them? You know, I thought about this the other day and I'm so grateful for my sons and I love being a mum of boys. Mm. I do. I've met so many mums that have only boys. Mm. Uh, I met a mum the other day who has nine boys, wow. no girls. So when she heard I was having a girl, she was so envious and she came to my work place to the funeral home she dropped off this box of goodies for me and I went oh you didn't have to see us I'm just so blessed Mm. carry this girl for all of us yeah so her and I had a bit of a moment and I can't help but feel blessed for each and every one of them Mm. and the ages that they're at at the moment I think my eldest boy at the moment I thought I'd have challenges with him going through his teens but he's grown so fast. He knows what he wants. And a lot of my tamariki, when they know what they want, I mm. just try to nurture that and then support them where I can to um, encourage them to do what they want to do. Mm. Look, there's so many things that I would want them to do, absolutely. Mm. Or I would hint to them, actually, why don't you play this one <laughs> instead of that sport? But they, they'll be persistent in, in their decision-making. And mm. so I'll, I'll just... 
go with that. I think the last thing I want them to do or feel is if they can't come to mum or put mm. some sort of barrier in place when they're wanting to share something with you. So, yeah. That's awesome. It's lovely to hear you say that you really tune into your kids too because mm. you kind of, we're looking all the time for who is this child mm. and each child really loves to be noticed that they are different mm. or that you have noticed that they're not the same as the other child or the other children and I think children feel seen and heard and that's a, a beautiful thing. I'd love to know, Kaiora, what your boys would say, if, if your beautiful boys, if they were here, what would they say about you? How would they describe you as their mum? <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> look, <clears throat> I hope they would say mum is loving, she's kind, she is supportive, um, my youngest tends to tell me all the time, even though my hair's all out of place and things, he'll just say, Mum, you're pretty. <laughs> and I take those comments in. Um, when we, we're quite an expressive family, whānau, where we don't hold back on feelings. And um, that's something that I encourage in my home. Mm. What I mean by is like... Um, we tell each other we love each other. We mm-hmm. tell each other we are disappointed or angry or, mm. you know, cause it's, yeah, my, my nine and ten-year-old, they can express it in different ways. So I'm just grateful that we have that space at home where we, we don't hold back mm. in, in those areas. I saw your um, gender reveal, which was so beautiful. And there was the balloon and, and your boys, you know, they popped and there was pink confetti everywhere. And just the joy. I felt like I was like watching, you know, like the World Cup and the All Blacks <laughs> had got their final try. And it was oh, just beautiful. so much celebration. How are they feeling now? You know, the, the time that, to sink in, they're having a, a baby sister and they'll, they'll be meeting her in a matter of days, really. How are they feeling? Yes, they... <laughs> It's funny when that gender reveal happened, eh, and I popped the balloon and everything. I was expecting them to come give me a, a uffy <laughs> or, you know, a bit of a hug, but they they just ran everywhere else like they were all excited for themselves. So I'm yeah. like, okay, mum's, mum's waiting. <laughs> so I, I'm happy for them. I really am. Before we popped that balloon, though, Dad explained to them, you know, pink, especially for our baby, mm. pink is for girl and blue is for boy. And he asked all of them, so what, you know, what colour do you want? Do you want? All of them said pink is for my portiki, my baby. Mm. He goes... No, it's my brother that's coming. So when we popped the balloon, we were, <laughs> we were like surprised that he saw that all this pink. It was like, oh, and so I'm thinking, is he excited? Was he excited that there's stuff everywhere, not knowing that it's going to be a girl? But if I had left the, the volume on, you would have heard him say, Happy New Year! <laughs> And I'm like, oops. So after all of that, we said, are we happy for baby sister? And he goes, so is it not my baby brother? It it took a while for him to take in. And the big brothers are already asking them, you know, because they've got their licence now. So they're like, oh, mum, you know, I can take her here and there. And (laughs) and Dad's like, yeah, sure, go for it. But just know I'll be coming with you wherever you're going. (laughs) So... I was thinking about Francis and, and I know that he's a bit extravagant, I suppose. You know, like he loves, you know, chandeliers and big ornaments at your workplace. He styles it amazingly. <laughs> yeah. And I was going to ask, do you think she's going to be sport? But I feel like that's a given with so many brothers and with you guys. She's going to be so loved upon. But will he be allowed to help decorate her bedroom? Or do you think it might be a bit over the top with him? You know, I thought he's been wanting this for so long mm. and that he's going to sort of She's going to ruin him. She hasn't even come and he's already making these decisions. But actually, no, he's he's been really, really good. Good in a way where he's like, nah, look, hey, we don't need to get so much stuff this time, um, Mum. We've learned from the, our last boys that she's going to be in the bassinet for only so long or while we've organised a wahakura to come. So we're looking forward to that. And I'm, I'm like, oh, where's this? 
this man, okay. <laughs> he hasn't changed, but he's definitely taken a, a more modest approach to baby girl coming. I have a feeling, though, that when she does arrive, that's when everything mm. will change. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. What specifically are you looking forward to about having a daughter? That is a good question. I'm actually feeling nervous at the moment. I am. Because um, I hope that my status remains the same, that mum is going to remain the boy's queen in their mm-hmm. home. That's the hope. But I'm open, you know, I'm open to what she she will bring, um, to what joy she might bring. Mm. I, I do know I'll be expecting maybe um, my clothes to probably go missing in the next whatever age she gets to or maybe a bit of makeup going missing here and there. So... Yeah, I'll just have to take one day at a time. Yeah. That's a great way to do it. I know that when you went through your last pregnancy, you lost your happy, positive self Mm. for a little while. Mm. And you really shared openly about that, Mm. even though you found it hard to ask for help and, Mm. you you know, that wasn't an area that you're drawn to, like you kind of like do it within your own strength. But now after going through um, postpartum depression Mm. and getting the help, now you're a real advocate for Mm. asking for help. Are are you going through this pregnancy a little bit different now after going through that previously? Yes, thank you. Thank you for um, acknowledging that, Dana. I feel I'm mindful now um, of of the science, I'm I'm open to those kinds of spaces if I feel them. But at the same time, I feel this pregnancy. I'm a a lot more stable than what I was with my last pregnancy. I think there was just so much happening. We were in a small fuddy with so many boys, and, and you know, each of them just sharing rooms with each other, and it was just as well as we just moved out of the funeral home from upstairs and then moving into a new environment. There was so much happening Mm. during that pregnancy. I didn't quite get time for myself. Mm. I didn't take leave before I had my boy. So just everything hit me all at once after I had him and I realised I wasn't ready. So now I'm in a better space and I know well I feel I know what to expect and I do have the support people around me Mm. to help me through any obstacles if I have any be that mentally or physically my whanau just they've all booked a room at my house (laughs) when baby comes but I've asked them some look I'm going to put a rahui I'm going to put a a band on my whare I I need my space with Mm. my boys Mm. and understand me with our newborn and um, at least three weeks anyway just for the living space any time after that oh Mm. by all means come round no problem but I feel that's what I I didn't get the last time Mm. Uh, so yeah great to have those things in place and to have a bit of a plan yes. going forward and um, Kaori you're one of 12 yes six girls and six boys <laughs> I'm one of six three girls and three boys oh, yes. so well done double the size <laughs> um, what was your childhood like what was it like growing up in your whanau I feel I was I was very spoiled by my dad but given I'm the youngest girl but being raised with them together, oh, it was hard to have a voice. Mm. I love my humble beginnings. Like I look back on my on my upbringing. Um, we had there was twelve of us. Yes, the two parents, fourteen in our home. Mm. Our eldest brother got married, had four kids, and was in our space as well. So we had approximately. So it was 14, 15, oh 16, 17, 18, 19. 19 people in our home, in a four-bedroom home. So you had my elder brother in his one room with the four kids, his wife, and our mum and dad's room, and then you had a boy's room and a girl's room. And we were all top and tail, you know. You had, the, you had two bunks in the boy's room. You had one bunk in the girl's room with the single bed. And I remember three of us just squashing up on the single bed. And 
I look back on that and I'm like, I think if there's anything that I take from my upbringing is what not to do. <laughs> Don't have 12 kids, no. <laughs> I love where I started, you know. It was first one up, got the pair of socks or the nice warm shoes or the, the fancy uniform that didn't have a rip on the side. Mm. You had certain privileges if you were up early. And then I guess my mum... You know, she, I I look back, I look at how much of a staunch mum she was and her duties to us as her tamariki. She would make anything out of nothing, you know, and the flour, that was an important ingredient to have in the home. We couldn't afford bread every week. So she would make rewana bread and it would last us for weeks and of course, you know, if that ran out, she'd just keep making it. And we'd have, to have stews and sausages almost every night just to feed the whole whānau. You know, mince was the go-to because it was always a spread. But it, she made everything just taste so yum and I think I'm getting hungry thinking about it. <laughs> you know, and every time she comes now, she knows fried bread is, is a delicacy in our whare, so she'll bring some nice hot mm. bread over. And our boys love it. I can make a similar taste, but I can never get it as fluffy as she gets mm. it. I like this idea of that, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. And I imagine that with 12 kids, there must have been aunties and whānau over and just a lot going on in your home. Was that how it was? It was, Dana. You know, there we are. My mum's doing her best to feed 12 Tamariki. Mm. And then my dad's cousin will show up out of nowhere and he'll go, hey, you weren't allowed to be told to make a cup of tea or a biscuit or get something for them. It was a must. Someone's in the whare. Go get something ready for them and bring it back. If you were told you'd get a growling later, dad would go, oh, hey, why don't you fellas bring out something for uncle so-and-so? So So anyway, as we're going at the back and we're getting the biscuits, one of us start fighting over, no, you give your biscuit because this one's for my lunch tomorrow. So there was a bit of sacrifice in all of that mm. to Manaki others that mm. came to our whare. Mm. Um, anyway, so that was a must back in those days is when cousins and aunties came, we knew straight away to, okay, obviously we're going to forgo something. But at the same time, the aunties and uncles would always bring something. And it was such a treat. Mm. It was such a treat when they dropped us off at school, you know, and we know that they were going home. They'll take us to the local bakery and they'll say, get whatever you want. Mm. And we're like, oh, am I allowed a pie? Yeah, if you want a pie, how many pies do you want? Oh, am I allowed two? <laughs> it was just the treat from it's aunties special. and uncles. Yeah. Mm. Love so, that. Yeah. What have you taken from the way you were raised and sort of blended it into your own family? Is there stuff that you have thought either subconsciously or intentionally that you've wanted to carry on? It's a good question. I feel I've definitely implemented my parents' teachings and by expressing our aroha for each other. Mm. And I guess because being raised on marae and you go to so many tangi, so many funerals, you would hear my dad say to everybody there, you know, it's important that you tell your loved ones how important they are to you because Mm. one day they're not going to be here and you're going to regret that moment. And so that's one teaching that I always Mm. encourage my boys to do. They argue, oh yeah, they do. And, and it's important that they acknowledge why they've come to that space. And I, we always encourage them to talk about it later as well. So they're not allowed to go to bed angry at one another. Mm. And those teachings have all come from my parents. I see when I came here to the fuddy, the shoes are at the door. That's common in everywhere they go. Mm. So I like to ensure that that's a form of respect when they do go to the mm. house. One of my boys, they went to their friend's house and he was like, Mum, they wore the shoes in the house. And I said, that's their, their way. That's okay. Mm. Oh, but I wasn't too sure if I should have taken mine off. Well, did you? <laughs> yes. Well, good. 
You continue mm. to practice it unless they say for you to keep your shoes mm. on, mm. then you keep them on. Then, yeah, I love those teachings. They're only small, but they're big in the, in the long run, and I hope they can continue those teachings. Mm. Mm. Um, were you raised speaking te reo in mm. your home, or is that something that has been part of your journey after you've left? Mm. So our father was the the mango was the spokesman in our home. And he would always call it all Māori to us. Mm. And so it was natural for us to respond to him in te reo Māori. Mm. So when he passed in when I was 10, that pretty much died. And we could only remember certain words, understand what others would say, mm. especially when it came to commands and things like that. So when I got to college and they had this kapahaka, it was always a kapahaka group happening. I joined the group and then I realised how much... I miss speaking te reo Māori. Mm. I finished at college and then my mum asked me, what is it that you want to do? Like, seriously, because I was working at KFC at the time. She said, you don't want to stay here all, all your life, do you? I went, actually, it's a good question, mum. Yeah, I think I might go and study. And that was the first thing I went mm. to to do was at Unitech. I went to go and um, learn te reo Māori, join that um, huarahi again, that, that journey. I was taught by Scotty Morrison and Te Kauhoi Wano, um, Kokahine Taumanu. They were my pillars at the time. Mm. And from there, I went over to Te Wananga Takiura, a uh, Māori teacher's training college, mm. and I furthered my real Māori journey. Um, and then I fell hapu with my eldest and then was told to go back home to have my baby, which was fine. Um, but... Real Māori has been a must in my life, mm. and I do look. I'm. I have to say that I've been a bit slack conversing with my tamariki, but at the same time, they know certain kupu. When Mum starts to growl in Te Reo Māori, they know. So um, yeah, <laughs> tends, they tend to register better when it's yeah. in Te Reo Māori, <laughs> and they listen better. So you're like, oh, okay, right, I'm going to keep going like this. Um, yeah. For you, like learning the language, what's that journey been like, I suppose, in, in almost like grieving and mm. remembering and mm. that process? Te reo Māori on that journey wasn't just about the language, but you learnt all of its tikanga, all mm. of its history. And part of that was also to understand, you know, how it was revived. And it almost, uh, it does sadden me sometimes the, what, what our ancestors had to go through to bring it back. Mm. So I acknowledge that. And, then, and I know now that when I do speak te reo Māori with those who converse with me, is I know I'm doing my part for them. Mm. Um, now in my workspace, it, if it comes naturally, I'll talk naturally with others. It's not forced on anyone. I'm grateful that, because we're quite a diverse whānau, we've got Samoan speakers, Tongan speakers, and we're all learning from each other. Our mahi and the communities that we serve, it's important to understand their background too. Mm. So I I love that they're, they're open to, to learning te reo Māori as mm. well. Mm. Yes. Now, your job and Francis's job is a little different to the regular job. <laughs> and do your boys have any opinions or thoughts? What do they think of it? Mm. They haven't really had a choice, really. This is what's been mum and dad's mahi since mm. my eldest was one, uh, turning one. And this is all they've known. Mum and dad have been in... Uh, in, a, in a funeral home caring for loved ones mm. and they understand that purpose they've never complained about our commitment because we're hardly ever home I'd say it's not your 9 to 5 role mm. right so sometimes mum and dad are home some 8 o'clock 10 o'clock at night by then they're in bed and I do I miss them mm. at the same time the following day I'll take the morning off to ensure that They've been fed, have their breakfast and drop them off at school. I'll take the afternoon off to ensure I've picked them up. Then I can go back to Mahi. They've seen mum. Mm. Cool. 
Now we're in a comfortable space to plan ahead and allocate a week off here and there specifically for them. We couldn't do that maybe five years ago or even three years ago. We can do that now. Mm. And I suppose that's one I'm grateful for lockdown too because it did force us to be together. So... (laughs) Yeah, because yeah. a lot of families, I suppose, they avoid the topic of death and mm. you know, like, how do we talk about yes. this? But your family's surrounded by it, and I've even seen, you know, your boys down like dusting the coffins <laughs> and you know, getting involved. I mean, do you find because they're sort of surrounded by it and it's just normal conversation mm. that they're not as scared about mm. death, or maybe have more of a respect for life? Beautiful. That's a lovely question. I think. Because my my tamariki are around it, it's it's a must that they understand, and it's normal for them to understand that. Having said that, it's, whether we're in this industry or not, it would have been normal for them. Mum and dad would have made it normal for them. It was normal for me growing up, you know. So, it, because of the the cultural background, going to a marae where you see funerals in its full force. You'll see traditions and protocols practice over a space of three days. You can see a casket arrive. You can see um, visitors in kissing, hugging this loved one. Mm. That's a normal practice mm. for me growing up. It's a normal practice for our kids too. So I don't hold them back if they have experienced personal loss we lost their grandfather um, a couple of years ago and a dear friend of ours last year and they can mourn with us Mm. and I invite tamariki especially our own to grieve with us because they need to I would not hold them back from feeling that way and over time you know tamariki they're the most resilient through this whole grieving process and the more involved they are, they'll be able to have their own way of letting go. Mm. You know your tamariki so well, you can engage with them and you know if it's challenging for them, then you know to step in and uffy them when when they're going through that. But as sad as it is, I love funerals, I do. Mm. I love it when we all come together, whether we like each other or not. We force each other to just get along with mm. her because we have to. So, mm. yeah. Mm. What amazing things go on in this sacred space that you're part of. Is there ever a time where you feel like you really need sort of your own emotional self-care or if you've been grieving or you're participating in other people's grief? How do you kind of take care of yourself? Mm. The other day I experienced a mother who just gave birth and within a space of 45 minutes she passed away. Mm. Um, I was contacted because I knew this family personally. Mm. So I wasn't too sure if I was the right person to guide them through this. At the same time I knew they needed me. So they have become the focus in that mm. space. So we went through, we went to uplift her, we brought her back to the funeral home, treated her. And then this mother also has an eight-year-old son. Uh, baby lived. Baby's healthy and came to the funeral home as well. Her, her best friends came to dress who were also pregnant. Mm. I wasn't too sure if I was the right person because there's um, her mother who rung me, who asked me to care for her, and I wasn't too sure if she was okay with me being pregnant, I guess, mm. or what, what space she was in, and um, me still being present. Then when I saw these all of these other mums showing up, ready to dress her, I was like, okay, cool, we're, we're good, mm. we're good. Mm. In those times, I just take it as it comes. That experience for me, because it was so close Mm. and I'm going through those same experiences as them at the moment, 
I haven't had a challenge like that for a while. Mm. So I did need my own little outlet. I needed to remove myself, mm. have my own little cry. Mm. I went to go and see my husband. I said, oh, my gosh, darling. And he goes, oh, I knew you would break. It's okay. Come sit in the office. When you're ready, we'll go back down. And that's important, having that time out just in those moments. Mm. They had a beautiful send-off. A lovely send-off. Lots of waiata, lots of haka and performances to acknowledge her, which helps with that grieving mm. process for them as mm. a whānau. And me just witnessing being part of all that was beautiful. Mm. After that, though, after once the formalities have finished and I moved away, I needed to have a day off at least. And I took my boys with me. We even... If we just had fish and chips. Mm. It was the best feeling. It was the best. You needed to rejuvenate yourself mentally, physically. So um, that was one way of me mm. making myself right mm. after that. Mm. Um, I shared. Went back. Uh, I was contacted by her mother again after that. She was so grateful. Mm. She's so grateful. And to hear her say that, you know, she, my my girl hasn't looked like a princess in such a long time. Thank you so much for the manaki you give her. Those are the words that make you feel so complete for them. Mm. You mentioned about getting kids involved, you know, and, and it helps them to grieve, mm. you know, better. I, I think of, like, my dad's funeral, and um, my boy was three at the time. I remember when dad was carried out, my boy just decided on his own he jumped up and he quickly got his hands mm. there and he helped carry and I just thought oh like it was just such a beautiful moment and I thought we hadn't really got him that involved mm. you know but he just was like I'm gonna be involved and this is what I'm doing mm. what ideas do you have because you've seen so many funerals mm. what ways can we get our kids involved and what traditions mm. and different rituals have you seen that help with the grieving process mm. depends how our, our relationship to the loved one and, I mean, we all say that we're nieces and nephews, eh? We, we make that connection and we can claim who they are to us. But often when, when they are, you know, an immediate family member, I would encourage them to maybe be involved in the funeral if you want to. Invite them to share some words or a memory that they had with Papa or, or Nana. If they're not of the age to be a poor-bearer, then allow them to just, like your son did, touch the casket and, mm. and assist with walking out or walking in. Mm. So they can feel part of that. Mm. But yeah, I would encourage parents to firstly allow their children to grieve and invite them to be part of the funeral if they wanted to, mm. if they can. If not, then you know, have some moments with them later and invite them to the casket because you, they will see you sit next to mum, dad, loved one. And so they'll want to be part of that with you. Yeah. I had this conversation with a friend of mine some time ago and, you know, I showed her around the funeral home and she got a bit emotional because it brought back some memories of her loss. And she goes, you know what? I wish my parents didn't do that to me. They didn't allow me and my brother to come and see our granddad throughout the funeral. And she said, look, we weren't allowed to be part of going to see him earlier. We were only able to see him at the funeral service. Then we closed the casket lid and then we took him to the burial and then when we when we saw him lower into the ground and then walk away, I was in shock. Mm. I didn't know that we had to leave him there. Mm. I didn't know that that actually Granddad had passed away because they didn't tell me. When she shared that with me, I, I felt aroha for her. Mm. And so she feels now, she's like, I'll never do that to my children. Mm. I, I couldn't give her any answer but to say... You know, we know what to do with our tamariki now. Shall we go have a moment? Where's Granddad buried? Shall we go see him? Shall we have a karakia or something? She goes, actually, yeah, let's have a karakia. Just a form of 
letting go mm. in, in that moment. Mm. Something ceremonial for her to help that. It was a sad moment to understand that she's now my age and looking back at that, not being given the opportunity mm. to grieve. She knows she wouldn't want to do that for with her children. Mm. It's an amazing thing that um, we often look back and realise that there were some missing pieces for our children when they you hear them talk and you think, oh, they haven't actually put that together mm. and um, I think the neat thing too is that we can revisit things like you did and fill in the missing gaps for children and then decide to start a different traditional way of dealing with death. Um, children are known to be really good observers but not always good at interpreting events mm. and so I think it, it encourages us to talk to our kids mm. and always have conversations about what's happening mm. and not leave them in the dark. Mm. Like that. Kaora, you would have a good sense of humour because I imagine you need one <laughs> in, in the work that you do. What, what do you do? Are there any things that you do that um, just keep your sense of humour alive so that you kind of adjust the balance mm. uh, of sad things and life is good and funny? We have to have a laugh. I mean, what life would be like, though, eh, if we were crying every moment of our life? Mm. Look, I keep saying how grateful I am, and I am. The stuff that we have, they're our whanau. And, you know, in whanau you have all these types of dynamics with each other, personalities and whatnot. And we each bring our own uniqueness to mahi. And we can have so much banter. You know, most days we like to um, come back together and have a bit of a kai. And in, the, in that space there, we're laughing with each other and we're reflecting on maybe the, the funerals that we've just had or laughing at how we responded to certain things throughout the day. So it's those moments there where we like to have a bit of a laugh, where we can be ourselves with each other. Is there anything that you can think of that you... Um, Francis or Hono, we won't be doing that, and have found yourself doing it. Any anything in the parenting realm that was a never, and now you you found yourself doing it. That's one thing that comes to mind. Is I mean, because I've been raised in a big family, uh, having a van was normal for us. So when I got to a certain age, you know, studying, being twenty and whatever, I'm like, I am not no matter how many kids I'm having, I'm not having a van. That is not the look. Oh, heck, I have to say, having a van has probably been the best blessing. <laughs> <laughs> I've got all my tamariki in the back. I feel I've got a whole iwi going on and there's no room for arguing because they've all got their own space. When I had, you know, driving around on a sedan and it's like they all squashed in there and you're on my feet, you've got my bag and all this. It's, it's so good having a van. Mm. Yeah, great adjustment. To <laughs> yes, I love that. What's one piece of um, mama advice that you give to um, maybe friends that are going to be mums for the first time? Mm. What's something that you share with them? To embrace the moment, especially in your first pregnancy. Enjoy those moments if you can. Uh, because I look back on it now and I'm like, actually, I don't even remember taking any photos. I suppose 20 years ago, you know, 18 years ago, you look back and you I feel then that it was kind of a hidden thing. Having those pregnancy photos wasn't a thing. In a way, it was viewed as tapu in my household. My mother wouldn't encourage that. So, yes, embrace the pregnancy, but not so much expose your puku. But now, oh, no. Go for it and cherish those memories. And then after you give birth, ensure you do have time for yourself. Those first two weeks, it's a sudden change of your body. You're, you're just healing. You're still learning baby. Baby's come now and, and it's taken all of your energy. And you, you may feel disappointed because you're not getting the rest that you used to. Have a moment, just just have a moment when you can. If, if it means just to block out and just have a hot chocolate or a coffee or whatever to make you feel good, then get back into mm. understanding yourself again and 
looking after baby if you can. That's probably the best advice I can give you because looking back on my son and my firstborn was a heavy recovery. Here's the reason why I can only have C-sections. This will be my sixth C-section. You know, every birth after him, the specialists will come in and they'll go, you know, there's a risk of here you should really consider, you know, tying the knot. This was like my third one, but my second one, the specialist then said, you know, you can have as many as you like. And I went, <laughs> really? He goes, yes, don't let anyone tell you that wow. you should only have three because that's the recommended number. Mm-mm. I've performed nine on one mother. Mm. So if you want, I went, are you going to be around, you know, for the next whatever years? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he made me feel comfortable yeah. to have, well, not have a restriction. Yeah. You know yourself. You know your body. If it's not feeling right, then, of course, then make those decisions. And at my last pregnancy, when I gave birth to my baby, it was then they asked, are you, are you going to? Shall we tie it up now? My husband's going, oh, mum, yeah, we'll tie it up now. Excuse me. No, we can just wait until I'm ready. So yeah. he would have he would have missed out on his blessing if I did, mm. and I'm grateful I did it. Mm. It's a big yeah. decision to make in that moment. I remember just before I had my firstborn, my husband was like, do you want, to take, want me to take a photo of your stomach? And I was like, oh, no, no, it's all good. And I'm so glad. He was yeah. like, no, let's do it. Yeah. Because I look at those photos now and it's just in my hallway oh, and my wow. pants and my bra. And I just treasure, yes. I treasure. And I look at those photos. So I'm really glad I have mm. them. So that's really great advice. Yeah, that really is. good advice. When I was pregnant with our two, you certainly wore balloony dresses, mm. nothing that showed the shape mm. of the baby. And even words were used like, or oh, Jenny's in her confinement. I thought, what is that? <laughs> what, what is that, Jenny? Oh, I think it's you're carrying a baby, but oh. you're sort of meant to be kind of a little bit obscure, a little bit out of the way. So I love that we have grown to the celebration mm. of, of all that it contains. Now, one day your beautiful whanau, all your children will leave home, not at the same time, but <laughs> yes. they will. And what is it that you would hope that they carry with them into their own family and into their own adventures? A picture of me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't forget your mum. Mm. I'm always here. You know, you just, you do hope that your children, when they do leave home, that they they have their own standards or they've learnt taken so mm-hmm. much from teachings at home that they apply that in their own space. I hope my, my boys, if they do ever feel uncomfortable, that they can make contact with mum and dad by mm-hmm. phone call or whatever. That's why dad, my husband, sorry, not dad, husband. It's funny, eh, how we refer to them as yeah, yeah, dad I do husband. it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's always wanted to have a girl, right? And he keeps saying, like, oh, man, because you boys are going to grow up, you're going to leave, you're going to have your girlfriends, you're not going to come home, you're not even going to share your babies. And I'm like, okay, well, we'll just wait for those moments to come. He goes, no, but I just know if I was to have a girl, she'll stay with daddy and she'll look after me. He's kind of planned already. She's like, do you think she she will leave home? And <laughs> I feel sorry for him when that day comes. <laughs> like, I hope you do expect that. you you got to try and prepare yourself now. Because <laughs> when the time comes, I feel like you're, you're going to be a blubbering mess. Thinking of your workplace, you've talked about, you know, there's Samoan, Tongan, mm. you know, there's so many different cultures that come together. But you and Francis are really intentional of, like, this te ao Māori way mm. of doing things. Can you tell us a little bit about that and why it's so important yeah. in that space? I feel that our cultural background helps us through a manaki, a caring for families. We draw on those teachings to help us through that. It's a must to have, especially when we are caring for a lot of traditional Māori whānau who practice that. But at the same time, as I said earlier, we're open to all cultures it's a practice for us that when we do uplift loved ones or when they leave, depart our services, we'll always have a karakil with them. It just comes natural and we'll have a himine or song. Mm. And it, it sets the journey for them. 
Whether they're Māori or not, we just invite it. It's not a must that the families have it. Some families love it. Some families, um, even if they're not Māori, they'll ask, oh, are we able to have a karakia? You're like, oh, they want a karakia? Cool, let's do it. So I appreciate when they do want to, when they call on us to help them through that. I love that we can implement tikanga in our funeral home. Yeah. But as I said, it's it's not a must. It does help with that grieving process, though, with some of our families who may not be of a cultural background. It helps them. Obviously, drawing a lot on, on, on saying goodbye to my dad, you know, it was only a couple of years ago, but mm. my family were like, oh, do you want to do a family service before the funeral? And I was like, why? Mm. They were like, oh, no, we think we should. I'm like, okay. And I'm so glad we did. Yeah. So it was just the night before. It was two hours. And just the stories that were shared. Yeah. And I still remember holding my kids and the family just all around and just singing and loving on my dad, you know. Mm. And it was just a, such a beautiful personal way of mm. saying goodbye. Because the next day with a funeral, you're still very present, but there's more people and it it's just not as intimate. Mm. So, um yeah, I think it's really lovely when someone stands in that space and says, here are some of the options. Yes. Have you thought about this? Yes. This may help yeah. with the grieving process. Yes, yes. Mm. A lot of uh, Samoan families do have have a family service the night before. And it's for that, you know. They love to get up and share. Much like Māori on the last night, we call it a um, tokotoko night, and mm. you hand out the, the tokotoko, the stick, and whoever has the stick has to say something, whether they like it or not. <laughs> so a lot of the cousins would run out of the marae when they know it's, oh, it's tokotoko, so I'm going home. Um, but you hear all the types of stories about your loved one, mm. and you learn so much about them. You go, oh, the cheeky fella ran off to the pub that night when we all thought he went home. No. Yeah, mm. well, how come we weren't invited? All that kind of stuff. Mm. Very special. Yeah. Thoroughly enjoyed this mm. court. It all just feels like we're having a catch-up. Yeah. yeah. So it's nice. You know, I love it when I hear families uh, openly talk about loving one another. And lots of us would say, yes, of course we love one another. Mm. But when a family actually says it out loud to one another and it's kind of like a daily practice, I don't think you can get too much of being <laughs> being reminded that you're loved. And um, some of us grew up knowing it, but kind of not hearing it and sometimes having to fill the gap. And so I think that's really good. And the other thing that went with that conversation was, uh, children being free to express their feelings, knowing that in the family there is real safety in being able to say I'm sad or I'm down or I didn't have a friend today or, or I'm really excited. And children know when it's safe to share their feelings and they know when it's not safe. Mm -hmm. And when Kaiora was talking, I really got that feeling of her whānau really know that it is a safe Home is a safe haven for sharing how you're doing. Yeah. And I think too, you know, coming back to, you know, saying I love you on the daily, I think it's something that you practice. And, and if it feels foreign, you know, and, and you're Fano saying it, the more you do it, I think it just naturally flows. Um, so it might be something that you're like, no, nah, we don't really do that in our home, but it could be something that you go away and just start doing. Because mm. it, it is, it's so lovely to hear. I love it when my kids tell me that they love me. Mm. Um, and I, I make sure that I'm telling them every day, probably we, a thousand times a day. <laughs> it's good. I don't think you can overdo it. And I think you get over the awkwardness. Mm. You know, when you're older and you're, you know, like I remember my dad starting to tell me that he loved me and I always knew he did, but it was sort of like, oh, yes, dad, I know, sort of but awkward, but, um, oh, man, I'm so glad he did. Beautiful. She also talked about, you know, the family sometimes that, that missed on grieving well around their own parent dying or something like that. And I think that parenting is a bit like this opportunity we get that we often miss. We think, you know, I could have done this or I should have done that or now that I know more, I wished I'd done that. And we can live a life of regret or we can think, you know what, I might just go back and talk about that with my kids. Yeah. So with my grown-up kids, there's some conversations we've had now that should have been had a long time ago 
Maybe not the birds and the bees, I hope. Oh, no, <laughs> not that one. I think, we, I think, well, we did averagely with that one. But I think that if you didn't do what you wanted to do or say what you wanted to say, or maybe you overdid something and you feel that you want to say sorry, mm. it's never too late to go back and have those conversations with your kids. And there's a, a lot of healing in that. Yeah, so true. I love the chats that I have with my nana and my mum. And I remember my mum saying to me um, not that long ago that when I was dating, sometimes she didn't give me a lot of advice because her and my dad had separated and she felt like she didn't know enough and she had made bad choices and so she wasn't too sure exactly how to lead me. And I always, as a teenager, wished that she had given me more advice or, or told me more because I sometimes felt a little bit in the dark. So it's been really lovely actually to go back. You know, I'm married now, I've been married almost nine years, but for her to say, oh, this is the reason around that. Mm. And and you're right, it does bring healing. And it also brings a bigger picture of this is why that didn't happen in my childhood. Mm. We all do things um, for a reason. And sometimes we don't work it out till much later what the reason was. And it's great to share that. And I think that our kids get a, a fuller understanding of what really went on and probably a fuller understanding of, in the heart of it, it was a good intention. Mm. We may have got something wrong, but we really did want to do our best. I think most parents are out to do their best. I love to. You always talk about how it's an ongoing conversation, you know, a lot of these things. Well, it really is. If we're still, mm. you know, with your 40-year-olds and 50-year-olds, you're still having these chats with your kids and, mm. and working things out. It's it's a process and it's a journey. Mm. Kaora also um, delightfully didn't have lots of things that you thought that she's really working on in the family, like, oh, they don't do this, or I wish they did more chores or that. And I loved that lens that she was looking through for her own children, that it wasn't sort of like, oh, we've got to fix this, and that's not yet done. But it was a, a lovely sort of gentle, peaceful accepting of each of the stages probably that her children are at without this sort of ferocious need to sort it, fix it. You know, we're not doing as well as somebody else's, but there was a calmness mm. in that. That kind of made you feel that the children soaking in that would would just feel very accepted. I do think we think in terms of it's a problem and it needs fixing. And I didn't pick that up with her. Um, and I think that we could lean into that a little bit more in our own families. Well, that wraps up another episode of Parents We've Met. As always, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast project of ours. We are loving putting it together for you. Now, we are all about supporting parents on their parenting journey. So if you'd like access to more resources, head over to our website, parentingplace.nz. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you're enjoying what we're doing here, we'd love if you could share it on social media or rate and review it on this app.